Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, recorded Thursday, June the 22nd, 2017. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the John Campia Podcast. Of course, I am your host, John Campion. Thanks for joining me. Had a good time last night. Uh, last night, uh, Anne and I got to go over to the Fox lot and watch a screening of War for the Planet of the Apes. The movie is under embargo until Monday, which is still a pretty early uh, release for embargo for Fox, which means they have a lot of confidence in the film. And I'll just tell you, they have reason to have confidence in the film. I can't talk about the movie too much. Make sure you come back. Uh, to uh, my YouTube channel here on Monday when I will release my review for War of the Planet of the Apes. But that was a good time last night. But a whole bunch of things kind of, it felt like Hollywood went to hell in a handbasket this week. And uh, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to talk about a couple topics here up front here. We're going to talk about this uh, Lord Miller leaving the Han Solo film. We're going to talk about uh, the fact that Sony has announced that Carnage is going to be the villain in the Venom movie. And mention a little bit about, of course, the announcement that Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, after this final movie of his that comes out in December, the probably the greatest actor of all time. I mean, he's, I think he's definitely the greatest actor of our generation. And a strong argument could be made that he, he might be the greatest actor of all time. Anyway, he's decided to hang him up. And we'll talk about that. And of course, the main part of the John Campion podcast is taking your questions and topics that you guys send in to me. So without any further ado, as they say, let's jump in. It. So I guess we got to lead off with this Lord and Miller leaving Han Solo. Okay, look, it is not the rarest thing in the world. I mean, it's it's rare, but it's not super rare. It's not like it's not like finding a diamond in a sandbox rare. When we hear that a director who has signed on to a movie steps away from the movie, the thing is, even when it does happen, that normally. You're talking about a situation and circumstances where it's just before production begins. You know, that you hear that phrase, creative differences. That normally happens before a film starts or really, really, in the in very rare cases, shortly after a film starts shooting, producers and the director, you know, just realize they can't function together and the director leaves. But Lord and Miller directing Han Solo is a horse of a completely different color to quote Wizard of Oz. This movie, Han Solo was over 80% done shooting. I mean, this movie was almost wrapped its principal photography. Now, of course, they already have reached, they had reshoots planned for a few months from now, sure, but principal photography was nearly done. They've gotten almost all the way through this movie. They've been shooting this film since January. And then comes word that, you know, they have creative differences. Kathleen Kennedy from Lucasfilm and Lord and Miller each put out joint statements saying, hey, we have creative differences. We have different visions for the project. How, you know, and I said this on the video that I put up on my YouTube channel. How different can your visions be? I mean, like I said in my video, you met for weeks and probably months before announcing that you were going to be working together. Then from when you announced to when shooting started, you had a couple of months to make sure you guys had your game plan, that you both approved the script, that you both understood what you wanted the movie to be. And apparently you agreed. And then you start moving or start shooting the movie and you see how the thing is going. You should have a pretty clear idea from before you hired them to after you hired them and when you accepted the job to to direct. And now you've started the movie. You'd think that somewhere in that entire process... If you guys were going to be on completely different pages, it would have become clear. And now we're in a situation that I honestly can't recall 
in, in a long time, it, it's certainly very, very rare that the movie is almost done shooting and now the directors have left. This uh, smells really bad. So what happened? Well, we've seen a lot of articles since the news dropped that Lord Miller have left. We've seen a lot of articles dropping in a lot of different websites with a lot of theories and insider information that people are claiming. But here's the picture we're putting together so far. Now, remember, Lucasfilm and Lord Miller... All they've said, they have not confirmed anything from anybody. All they've said is what they put out in their joint statements. That, hey, we love Lord Miller. And Lord Miller saying, we love Lucasfilm. And Lucasfilm saying, we love the movie. That's how it's coming together. And Lord Miller saying, we're very proud of the movie we've been putting that. Like, it's, it's, they're just claiming creative differences. That's the only thing that's been confirmed. Okay. So everything else is hearsay. Nothing has been confirmed. But here's the picture that's been pieced together so far is that Lord and Miller, well, let's start with Lucasfilm. That Lucasfilm is, under Kathleen Kennedy, very micromanaging. That they are very particular. And clearly, Star Wars is the most valuable single brand that Disney owns. Some people will say well, that Marvel is a more valuable brand. But remember, Marvel isn't a brand. Marvel is a collection of brands. It's a collection of the Iron Man brand, of the Captain America brand, of the Avengers brand, of the Guardians of the Galaxy brand. Like it's, it's, a, Marvel is a collection of brands. Star Wars is a standalone brand, really. And as a standalone brand, Star Wars is the most valuable brand that Disney owns. And so, Hey, you know what? It's understandable that Disney would be incredibly protective of that brand. They've seen what's happened with the Universal Monster Movie franchise. They've seen how Warner Brothers has had, you know, had a has been having a tough go up till Wonder Woman has been having a tough go with their DC brand. They're seeing diminishing returns with the Fast and the Furious brand. Disney understands what's happened when you're not zealously protective of your brand. And that's not a bad thing. That That's a good thing. It's just, you know, it depends on how you go about protecting that brand. With Lord and Miller, most people know that they are very, they're kind of fly by the seat of their pants. They're very organic. They like to take a flow of a film and they'll, they may have a script and they may have a game plan, but that can change radically when they're on set. And like everything else, like being a micromanager has its real benefits. It has its drawbacks. Lord Miller being that way on set has its advantages, has its drawbacks. There are other great directors who have functioned like that. There are some of the greatest directors of all time who operate completely opposite the way Lord Miller thing. I mean, it, it all, everything has its strength and weaknesses. Disney's way has its strength and weaknesses. Lord Miller has their way strength and weaknesses. Now, the narrative that's being pieced together right now by a lot of, from what I'm hearing personally, as well as some of the stories out there, is that the clashing between Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm and Lord Miller has gone back to nearly the beginning of production and kind of accumulated up to this breaking point when they were approaching the point of no return. Now, apparently, you know, Kathleen Kennedy also brought in uh, Kasdan, who, of course, wrote Empire Strikes Back, and he was really involved with uh, The Force Awakens. Kasdan didn't like, I guess, the movie that they were putting together. He kind of felt it wasn't really... He felt that Lord Miller didn't get Han Solo. Uh, is that, that's the reports that are coming out at any rate. I have no idea if that's actually factually true or not, but that is what's being said at this point. And finally, it came to a head and Lucasfilm fired Lord and Miller. That's the word that Lucasfilm fired Lord and Miller over creative differences. So, you know, neither Lord Miller nor 
uh, Lucasfilm are lying about that. And now we have a situation where Han Solo don't have a director <laughs> with, with only a little bit left of the film to shoot. And of course, they're already planned well in advance reshoots. They're going to have to bring in somebody else now. Uh, some people are, I'm hearing are talking Ron Howard. Some people are talking. There are a few other names being bantied about who, sh- about who should come in, but that's another topic. Who should direct Han Solo now is another topic for another time. Now, one of the things that I've noticed online is that everybody is jumping on the bandwagon, pointing the finger and blaming Disney. And I'm not saying I disagree with that. But what I will say is this, is that online fans, and all of us, really, we all have this tendency from time to time. We have a tendency to just take the position of whoever the more popular person is. Lord and Miller are incredibly popular. Like, they're they're basically four for four. I mean, when you're looking at Clyde with a Chance of Meatballs, obviously the Lego movie, 21 Jump Street, 22 Jump Street. I mean, they're great. They've made fan-appealing films, successful films. These guys are dynamite. I mean, if you've listened to me for any period of time, you know how much I love Lord and Miller. But it is our tendency... That when there is a dispute between a couple of big Hollywood players, we seem to naturally want to take the position of the people we like more, of the people who are the more popular. And and quite often, too, we like to take the position of the artist over the man, who in this case is the studio, right? That is our natural tendency. And again, right now, I'm not saying that it's not Disney's fault. I'm not suggesting that at all. I don't really have a position on this so far. But I do want to caution everybody that before we jump on one bandwagon or the other – to just consider this, okay? From the Disney's point of view, look, there have been stories that J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy clashed. We know, even though the rumors and the reports of 70% of Rogue One was redone, that's not true, Not to, certainly not to that extent. But we do know that Gareth Edwards and Kathleen Kennedy had issues, or at least Kathleen Kennedy had issues with what Gareth Edwards was doing. And now, obviously, Kathleen Kennedy has had issues with what Lord Miller's doing. There seems to be a little of a bit of a pattern. But also keep in mind some of the things that we said at the beginning. This is Disney's most profitable, most powerful, and yes, most important IP is Star Wars. They do need to be particular about it. They do need to be protective of it. They've got another property called Pirates of the Caribbean that they weren't psychotically protective of. And look at what happened to that property. Yeah, it made money, but its its long-term value has been radically diminished because of the diminishing quality of the films. And maybe Disney's thinking if we had tighter control, if we had made sure we kept a closer eye on Pirates of the Caribbean and we maintained tighter control and we were more protective of that IP, maybe Pirates of the Caribbean could have been a profitable franchise for us for the next 20, 30, 40 years, but now it's not. And so Disney has reason. I think we can all agree. Disney has reason to be protective of their IP. So yeah, there's a history of them clashing with directors, but yes, they they have the right to be protective and they should be protective of the world's most valuable IP being Star Wars. On the other hand, Lord and Miller, let's be honest, this isn't the first time Lord and Miller have had to leave a project. I mean, it's not. Just look at the history. Now, granted, it's never been 80% of the way into shooting a film, and it's never been something as high profile as Star Wars, granted. But this is not the first time that Lord Miller have been attached to a project and then have left. So there's a little bit of a pattern there, too. But Lord and Miller, like we said, they have cranked out, they have found a way to be continuously funny and put out entertaining, fun films that vast majority of the audience seems to like and enjoy. But why I'm frustrated with both Lucasfilm and with Lord and Miller, I'm, I'm frustrated with both of them at this point, is that, look, if you're Lucasfilm, you know how Lord and Miller like to direct. 
You know how they like to conduct their sets. You know the direction they want to take the movie. And you understand how they function. You knew all of this. And if I'm Lord and Miller, if I'm, or if I'm Lord Miller's best friend and I'm talking to them, I'm saying they look, Lord Miller, you knew how protective Disney is of Star Wars. You knew that Disney was going to be micromanaging a Star Wars project because of how particular they are. You knew all of this. So I would say to Lucasfilm, if you knew exactly what the types of directors you were getting in Lord and Miller, and I would say to Lord Miller, if you knew exactly what kind of production company you were going to be working for in Star Wars and Disney, then why the hell is this happening now? Why did you agree, either Lucasfilm or Lord and Miller, why did you agree to work together in the first place? Unless Lord Miller said to Kathleen Kennedy, don't worry about it. We're totally on board. We'll play ball, Kathy. Whatever you want to do, we'll do. And then they ended up going back on that. Or if Star Wars and Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm said to Lord Miller, hey, don't worry, guys. We're going to let you run your set. You make the movie you want to make. And then they went back on the words. Unless that was the case. And from everything I've heard, you know, Kathleen Kennedy is pretty, like, say what you want about her. She's pretty much a woman of her word. Lord Miller, I've never heard any stories of them trying to dupe anybody. So let's assume that they're both honest, straightforward, straight shooting people. If you knew what you were getting, then I'm sorry. Then Kathleen Kennedy, you got no right to be frustrated with Lord Miller doing what you know Lord and Miller do. You have no right to get frustrated over them conducting their set the way you already knew in advance they like to conduct their set and yet you hired them anyway. And to Lord Miller, I would say... Dudes, you've got no right to be upset for meddling and micromanaging from Lucasfilm because you knew when you made the agreement, you knew that Disney was incredibly protective of this property. You knew that Lucasfilm was incredibly protective of this IP and you knew from the history that they like to micromanage. So if you couldn't live with that, then that's on you, Lord Miller, for entering into the agreement in the first place. And to Kathleen Kennedy, I would say, and if you knew that Lord Miller liked to direct themselves that way, then it's on you because you knew that Lord Miller liked to conduct themselves that way, and yet you entered into the agreement anyway. So honestly, every version I'm hearing of this story, to me, does not answer that question. The question of, if you knew what you were getting in Lord and Miller, And Lord Miller, if you knew what you were getting in Star Wars Kathleen Kennedy, and both of y'all agreed to enter into this thing together, then I got no sympathy for either of you that each other was acting just the way you knew they were going to act in advance. I've got no sympathy for you. I got no sympathy for Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm in this situation. I got no sympathy for Lord Miller in this situation. Because both of them should have known better. And instead, we're hearing stories about them clashing right from the beginning, clashing all the way through. And I'm sorry, but you're 80% of the way done the film. Just take it across the finish line. Anyway, that's that's my whole thought and theory on the whole Lord Miller and, and Han Solo thing. But I, I'm dying to know, what do you guys think about all this? Please jump into the comments section and leave your thoughts below. Okay, next up is this whole thing with Venom and Carnage. And I put up a video about this yesterday. And by the way, if you listen to my podcast, but you haven't been to my YouTube channel, please go to my YouTube channel. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. It's at youtube.com slash John Campia. It's real simple. And I put up a video yesterday about the, uh, about the Carnage thing. So here's, for those of you who haven't heard about this yet, here's the, the basic skinny is that the Hollywood Reporter did this article. And in that article, they were talking to Tom Rothman, who's the chairman of uh, Sony. And anyway, the Hollywood Reporter in that article revealed a couple of things. The most key, at least to me at any rate, was the fact that Carnage, Cletus Cassidy, was going to be the villain in Venom. 
Now, this is the next very interesting development in what has been a very interesting story so far. Because when people first heard that Sony was moving ahead with a Venom movie, Sans Spider-Man, a lot of people were very upset. The, the common theme out there was that people did not like the idea. But then something strange happened. Tom Hardy joined to play Eddie Brock slash Venom. And Tom Hardy, this was important for two reasons. Number one, Tom Hardy is one of the best actors out there today. But number two, he is notoriously picky about the scripts he agrees to get involved with. So now all of a sudden you have a Venom project that has one of the great actors working today, one of the most popular actors working today, and an actor who's particularly picky about scripts, which got a lot of people, including myself, going, well, wait a minute, what if they've got a really good script? Like, they must have a really good script if Tom Hardy looked at it and said, okay, yeah, I'll get involved with this. So you had that happen. But now adding Carnage. Because here's the thing. Audiences want to see Venom. And audiences want to see Carnage. But what audiences really want to see is Venom fighting Carnage. So that's awesome news on one hand. But one of the things I really stressed was this, is that this is a bit of a gamble for Sony. Because you go in there and let's say you just did a Venom movie and it didn't quite work. Okay, that's fine. You can step up to plate and take another swing with Silver Sable and Black Cat or maybe Craven the Hunter or maybe something else. You can do that. But you go up and you make your first offering, Venom versus Carnage. Like you're kind of proverbially blowing your load early while having those two fight each other early. But you're going up to plate. Now, if you crush it with that, if you crush it and put out a great movie that people love with Carnage versus Venom, you are going to have people on your bandwagon so fast. It'll be insane. But here's the, the opposite side of that. You blow this movie, you crap the bed with Venom versus Carnage, you're done. Like your quote unquote kind of secondary side movie universe, Spidey universe, if you will, it's done before it even gets started because people are not going to forgive you for that. I mean, that's just the way it is. Now, some people are saying too that, you know, oh, they're going too fast. They're rushing it. You shouldn't have Venom. You shouldn't have Carnage, that big, big antithesis, if you will, to Venom in the first movie. That's rushing it too fast. Well, before we say that, Let's remember a couple of the greatest, you know, comic book movies of all time, some of the most celebrated comic book movies of all time at any rate, led out of the gate with the prime number one nemesis. Whether you're going all the way back to Christopher Reeve's original Superman, still considered one of the all-time classic superhero movies, who was the villain in that first movie? It was Lex Luthor. Or let's fast forward a bit now. Let's go to the first Tim Burton Batman film with Michael Keaton. Very celebrated film even today. Who was their villain? Right out of the gate. It was Jack Nicholson's The Joker. That seemed to work out okay. Captain America, The First Avenger, right out of the gate, you had Red Skull. Thor, right out of the gate, you had Loki. I'm not necessarily saying that starting off a superhero uh, property with their arch nemesis in the first movie is the way to go. I'm not suggesting that at all. But I am saying that it's not like other movies haven't done it, and it's worked. I think it can work. It can be fine. So th- think it's totally reasonable gamble for Sony to go with Carnage. As a matter of fact, I applaud Sony for doing it, and here's why. Most of y'all have been against this Venom movie. So Sony, I think, understands we can't just put out a passable movie. We need to crush this. And the way we're really going to make a statement and the way we're really going to shut people up is if we have Venom versus Carnage and we just crush it and do it right and give nobody any option but to say, okay, Sony, you did it. That was a good job. They know they have to swing for the fences here because they're behind the eight ball. They're starting with a bunch of the audience saying, you shouldn't be making this movie, you shouldn't be making this movie, you shouldn't be making this movie. Okay, 
We got a bunch of people saying we shouldn't be doing a Venom movie at all. If that's the case, and we're going to make it anyway, we can't just do an okay job. We need to crush it. We got to give the fans something they're going to eat up and love and enjoy. And what better way to do that than by bringing in Carnage? So I think it's the right move for them. But what do you guys think? Jump in the comment section. Let me know. Was the right move for Sony to bring in Carnage as the Venom villain? I think it was, but I'd be curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are. Okay, now, and the last thing I want to mention here, of course, was uh, the news that came out the other day. Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, who I've been arguing for a long time, is the greatest actor working today, quote-unquote, working today. Uh, he is the best actor in the world. He only does a film every couple of years, and whenever he does, he's at least nominated for Best Actor. He's one of the few actors in history to win three Best Lead Actor Academy Awards. As a matter of fact, unless he might be the only actor to have won three Academy Awards all in the category of Best Actor. Like, I know there have been several actors, including, like, De Niro and stuff, or, uh, yeah, uh, or Pacino, that have won, like, two Best Lead Actors and then one or two Best Supporting Actors. But I I, I could be wrong about this. I'm not – I haven't looked it up. But look down uh, – do some research for me, guys, if you guys know that I'm wrong here. But I think Daniel Day-Lewis may be the only actor ever to win Best Lead Actor three times. He was nominated for Best Lead Actor five times in total. So like I said, it feels like every time the guy gets on screen, it's just a foregone conclusion that number one, he's going to be nominated for Best Actor. And number two, he's probably going to win Best Actor. Anyway, the other day, uh, his uh, spokesperson put out a statement saying that after this movie, he's got another movie coming out with Paul Thomas Anderson in December of this year. After that movie comes out, he's done. I really hope I'm wrong about this. And it's probably even a little bit irresponsible for me to, to even speculate. But I, man, it smells like an illness. It smells like an illness. Like it smells like that statement, the way it was worded and the way it was phrased, the way say – that, you know, we're not taking, we're not taking any questions at this time. We're not making any further comments. You know, just, he's done after this. It, it smells like, I hope I'm, I hope I'm wrong about this, but it does smell like maybe he might be sick. I hope that's not the case, but whether it's because he's sick or whether it's because he just loves his shoe cobbling or whether it's because he just went, you know what? I've, I'm 60 years old. I've, I've won three Academy Awards. I've put in some of the greatest performances of all time. It's time for me to hang them up. And just enjoy myself for the rest of my life. If that, whatever the case is, I'm very bummed out and sad that we're not going to see possibly and arguably the greatest actor to ever live in any more movies. And I know a lot of people in the geek culture are like, but he hasn't done a comic book movie yet. And I know, uh, which really sucks. It would have been great to see him in a Marvel or a DC film or something like that. That would have been really cool to see. I, not that he probably ever would have done it. But uh, yeah, we are losing one of the greats in our industry. And uh, what else can we say about hats off to Daniel Day-Lewis? Probably the GOAT. All right, with all that out of the way, let's get to the most important part of the podcast, and that's your question. I know I went a little long, but like I said, the news, the, the huge stories in the last few days, I mean, Carnage and Han Solo and Daniel Day-Lewis leaving. Sorry, I took a whole bunch of time of that, but I thought that stuff was worth it. But now let's get on to the most important thing, which is your guys' questions. Once again, if you want to get a question to me, just make sure you're following me on Facebook. I mean, you should be following me on Twitter, too, at John Campia, but follow me on Facebook at John Campia, because I always put up a post on my Facebook saying, hey, guys, I'm taking questions now for the next podcast, and then that's where you guys leave your questions. So the first question today comes to us from Nicholas Smith, who writes, will you be reviewing Game of Thrones on your podcast this season? As a matter of fact, yes. I've never really done that before, but I'm telling you, the last couple of episodes of last season of Game of Thrones were so sick good. Like some of the best television I've ever seen were those last couple of episodes of last season of Game of Thrones. And the trailers for this season have been 
epic. I mean, really, it is the one show that truly is cinematic. I mean, it's a cinematic show, and it looks like they've really poured it on for these last two seasons. Now, granted, these last two seasons, it's almost even a crime to call them season, because this quote-unquote season is only going to have seven episodes, and then the final season is only going to have six episodes. So, we really only have 13 episodes left. Really, it's one season. But the trailers for this season, these seven episodes, have been phenomenal. And again, very cinematic. It looks like everything that we want to see. So, yes, I'm going to be doing a Game of Thrones recap on my YouTube channel. I'm probably going to have some other people joining me, probably Probably Anne and Kaori are probably going to join me. Maybe one or two other people as well. So anyway, keep your eye open for that. I will be doing a Game of Thrones thing. All right. The next question comes to us from Ezra Kubero, who writes, what is your ranking of the Transformers films? Okay. Now that the embargo is up, I can rank the Transformers film. The latest Transformers movie, uh, Transformers Last Night. I really hope you haven't wasted your money to go see it because it's an awful, terrible piece of garbage. Um, I mean, it breaks my heart every time. Anyway, it's a horrible, horrible movie. So this is how I would rank the Transformers movies. The best one easily, which is the only one that I've really liked, was the first one. I like the first one very much. I love the first one, as a matter of fact. So number one would be the best. The second best are all... The rest of them are all films I despise. But the one I despise the least is probably Transformers 3. Then the next one is Transformers 2 is in third place. In fourth place would be Transformers 4. And in dead last is this newest one, uh, Transformers The Last Night. So in order, it would be 1, 3, 2, 4, 5. 1, 3, 2, 4, 5. Transformers 1, Transformers 2, Transformers... Uh, sorry, Transformers 1, Transformers 3, Transformers 2, Transformers 4, Transformers 5. That is how I would personally rank them. Jump into the comment section and let me know how you would rank the Transformers films. All right. And the next question comes to us from Lucian Ventilla, who writes... Una Chaplin has joined the Avatar sequels. What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, news dropped the other day that Una Chaplin, you re- might remember her from Game of Thrones, which we were just talking about. She was Rob Stark's wife. Of course, had that amazing scene in Red Wedding. She played Rob Stark's wife in Game of Thrones, and she is now, they've now, she's going to be in at least a couple, I believe, of the Avatar sequels. We don't know whether she is like physically going to be there, like Sam Worthington was, or whether she's just going to be a voice character for one of the Navi. And she'll probably do motion capture in that as well. So we don't really know what her role is. But here's the most interesting thing about Una Chaplin. Una Chaplin is not only an actress from Game of Thrones. Una Chaplin, as the name suggests, is actually the granddaughter of one of the icons of Hollywood history, Charlie Chaplin. She's actually Charlie Chaplin's granddaughter from what I, from what I'm being told. So to me, that is the most interesting thing. Look, it's hard to have too much of a reaction because my only exposure to her really has been her work in Game of Thrones. And that was just one character and she played it well. So it's hard to really have an opinion about her joining Avatar when number one, I don't have a big sample of her acting to really have too much of an opinion. It's okay so far. But number two, I don't know what role she's playing. Is she just going to be a voice? Are we actually going to see her on screen? We don't know, but I think it's very interesting that the grand daughter of Charlie Chaplin is going to be in the Avatar sequels. And the next question comes to us from Kossel Seek, who writes, how much does Lord Miller leaving affect the inevitable news that Han Solo is going back for reshoots? Well, again, I cannot say this enough because so many people still don't get this. Han Solo is going to go back for reshoots, but it's not because Lord Miller are leaving. Han Solo always had reshoots planned. 
They've, they've had reshoots scheduled for a couple of months from now since before shooting began. Like they have their production schedule and then they scheduled when they're going to go back and do reshoots. Because when you're a multi, like huge million dollar film, when you've got, when you've got a film that this big of a budget and is this important, you plan on buying yourself the luxury of watching the cut come together and you know you're going to have some ideas how to make it better after you see the cuts. So you plan in advance reshoots. That's what they do. So yes. At some point, we're going to hear that Hanso is going back for reshoots. But please remember, it was always planned. It was always scheduled. It's been scheduled before Lord Miller left. Now it's especially important that they have them because they're probably going to have to change the tone a little bit. But it's not going to affect Lord Miller leaving is not affecting it at all because it was already planned. All right. Now going back to Avatar, the next question comes to us from Dennis Calichetti, who writes, Will Avatar 2 make 300 million opening weekend? The answer to that is absolutely not. No chance does that happen. As a matter of fact, I'm going to bring up the, uh, the box office, uh, result, results for Avatar here. As a matter of fact, like the first Avatar, a lot of people look at me like I'm stupid when I tell them, like, when you hear Avatar, which is the biggest box office movie of all time, and you ask people, how much money do you think Avatar made opening weekend? And a lot of people say 180 million or 200 million. No, Avatar made $77 million opening weekend. And by the time Avatar 2 comes out, it's going to be 11 years. It's, it's going to be 11 years since, you know, the first one, because I believe the first one comes out in 2020. The next one comes out in 2021. Then it skips three years. Avatar 4 will come out in 2024. Then Avatar 5 is scheduled for 2025. You're talking, if the next one does indeed come out and Avatar has, has, you know, it was originally, Avatar 2 was going to come out in 2017, then 2018, then 2019. Now it's coming out in 2020. Even if it does come out in 2020, it's going to be 11 years. And Avatar has disappeared from the pop cultural icon, from, from the pop, pop culture uh, lexicon. I mean, it really isn't there much. I'm not saying the movie's not going to be great. I'm not saying it's not going to do great. But the movie is not going to have a record-breaking opening weekend. Like, I don't even think Avatar 2 makes $200 million opening weekend, to be honest with you. I don't think it'll crack the top two or three all-time opening box office weekends. Now, it might go on to make incredible amounts of money, but I just don't see, no, I don't see Avatar doing all that much damage on the opening weekend. It's going to be a great opening weekend. I'm guessing in the $150 million range, which is crazy good, but $300 million, I'll go on record right now and say not a chance. Okay, and the next question comes to us from Jarvis Leakes, who writes... Will Black Panther be the movie that persuades studios to take a chance on more African-American superhero movies? Well, it's, it's a great question because I've always said this. I believe Hollywood studios are amoral. They are simply guided by money. I mean, and it's a business, so I don't, I've never faulted studios for that. They are completely guided by money. It is not Hollywood studios' responsibility to be the moral compass for America any more than it's Ford Motor Companies, like the car manufacturing companies, it's not their responsibility to be the moral North Star for America, nor McDonald's, nor Forever 21, nor Walmart. The movie studios are a business, just like any other business. Their guiding principle is making money. And, you know, when talking about, I remember a few years ago, I, had, I was on this panel where there was a discussion about why aren't there more movies with gay lead characters? And they're saying, because Hollywood is homophobic and blind. I'm like, are you kidding? Hollywood, the liberal machine is homophobic. Are you kidding me? No, no. Here's the thing. Hollywood is about money. And what I said on that panel is, if the Hollywood studios thought that by putting out a movie with a gay lead character, they would make $200 million, Hollywood is amoral. They don't give a shit about morality one way or the other. 
They don't care about left. They don't care about right. All they care about is green. And again, understandable. They're, they're a studio. They're a business. They're here to make money. I get that. But if we could show them that having a movie with a gay lead character was going to make $200 million, I guarantee you within 12 months, every major studio would have movies in production, several movies in production with gay lead characters because all they care about is money. When it comes to Black Panther, I believe the same principle applies. Now with Black Panther though, there's a, there's another little catch. And then the other little catch goes back to one of the weaknesses of comic books in general over over the history is that there haven't been a lot of great black comic book characters that the industry has given us. So Black Panther for Marvel right now is kind of like that golden that golden gem of an IP that they can take advantage of. And and look, it ain't just because Black Panther is a black character. Black Panther is an awesome character. And they introduced him so well in Captain America Civil War and everybody wants to see this character again. When it comes to having more black-led superhero films, I believe the same principle of amorality and being led not by the left, not by the right, but by green applies. I think if Disney, if the audience goes out in mass and supports Black Panther, and let's be honest, the responsibility starts with Marvel to make a great movie. But if they make a great movie, and then this movie makes 85 to 115 million dollars opening weekend and goes on to gross like five, 600 million worldwide. I guarantee you that they're going to look at getting more character IPs that happen to have black characters. They're going to get more of those films in production. We already know that Disney wants to do a cyborg or uh, sorry, DC and Warner Brothers want to do a cyborg movie. Whether or not that'll actually happen, we'll have to wait and see. But if Black Panther comes out and crushes it, I guarantee you Warner Brothers DC might fast track their cyborg movie at the same time. Personally, I think Black Panther is a much cooler character than cyborg, but whatever. Uh, there are many DC characters that I think are, I think Batman is the coolest of them all. Uh, more is cooler than any Marvel character. But I think if you're comparing Black Panther and cyborg, I think Black Panther is the cooler character. So they do have that advantage. But yeah, it's all about the money. So yes, if the Black Panther movie comes out and succeeds and the public goes out and supports it and it makes a lot of money, you're going to see a lot more studios looking into black IP properties from comic book genres to get into production. So as Gordon Gecko said in the great movie Wall Street, this is one of those situations where greed is good. Greed works. In this case, greed could be the empowering force that gets more black-led superhero movies into production. So, yay greed. All right, and the last question I'll take today comes to us from Oscar Herrera, who writes, What are your top five movies of 2017 so far? Well, this is a list that will probably change from week to week. But I will say this. So, what are my top five movies of 2017 so far? I will tell you what my number one movie is so far, and then the other four I'm just going to say are in no particular order, Okay. So, I believe the best movie of the year so far, still by a mile, is Logan. I don't think anything else has come close to Logan. And it's not because it's a comic book movie, it's just because it's it's unforgiven. It's unforgiven in a modern, updated genre. That's what it is. It's amazing. So, to me, Logan, hands down, is the best movie of the year so far. The other four films that I would put in my top five, in no particular order, okay? These are in no particular order, are Split... War for the Planet of the Apes, which I haven't been able to review yet, Wonder Woman, and Get Out. So I believe the top five films of the year are Logan at number one, and then in no other particular order, War for the Planet of the Apes, Get Out, Wonder Woman, and Split. 
Those are the five best. Now, I haven't seen Beguiled yet. There are, there are a few smaller films that I haven't had a chance to see yet. I'll keep my eyes open for that. But to me, those are the five best films of the year so far. A lot of great films to come yet this year. But yeah, for me right now, here we are. We're approaching July and Logan is still the best movie of the year. All right, guys, that'll do it for me for this installment of the John Campia podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, listen, don't forget, please make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash John Campia or youtube.com slash movie blog TV. Both of those take you to the same place and just make sure you subscribe to my channel. I'm putting up new content every day and uh, I'm going to make a little announcement. Starting next week, starting Monday, I will have a brand new daily movie news breakdown show that is going to start on Monday. So like right now I'm doing like odd spot videos here and there and they're a lot of fun to do, but I'm going to have a daily movie news video show. That's just me starting on Monday. It's called the movie vlog. So keep your eye open for that. I'm very excited to get that going. That's going to start up on Monday. So please tell your friends and family uh, and get everybody subscribed to that. And also while you're at it, subscribe to this podcast. Just use your favorite podcast app and search for the John Campia podcast and you can't miss it. Subscribe to it. And of course, make sure you're following me on social media where I make all my like personal rantings and of course my announcements on Twitter and on Facebook at both places. Just find me at John Campia. All right, guys, that'll do it for me today. Thanks so much for joining us. And until next time, bye-bye.